Welcome to the Thrills and Chills podcast brought to you by ShareBird and Clue. This is a show about establishing product marketing, being the first product marketer and the challenges they faced. I'm JD Prater. For the past decade, everyone was obsessed with finding a growth hacker. But now product marketers are in high demand as companies realize their value. Startups are now asking, when should I hire a product marketer? Should my first marketing hire be a product marketer? A lot of folks want to be the first marketer, but only a few make the leap. They're the builders, the fixers, the risk takers. They embrace chaos. They're comfortable being uncomfortable. And this is a journey into their world. It's about sharing the thrills and chills of being the first product marketer at a company. Along the way, we'll meet some amazing people. You'll hear engaging stories about imperfect product launches, the challenges and nuances of everyday work, and the skills needed to succeed. And of course, fresh perspective of what it really takes to be the company's first product marketer. Before we meet our guest, we'll pause for a quick word from our sponsors at Clue. Meet Jen. She's selling her division's product to a savvy new prospect. And unfortunately for Jen, she's about to get blindsided. So that sounds great, uh, but your competitor just launched something very similar. How do you compare? Jen needs to move fast. With a few taps, she leverages up-to-date intel her product marketing team has curated with Clue. Later in the show, we'll hear more on how Clue helps reps like Jen win deals every day. Learn more at clue.com slash thrills. Today's guest is Kevin Wu. He is on the enterprise and platform product marketing team over at Airtable. Before we jump into learning more about what he's doing there, Kevin, I was reading some of your articles that you wrote back in 2018 around product marketing, one around the core skills that are essential for PMMs. And you also do some classification around different types of PMMs. And my first question to you three years later is, has your thinking changed? I'm looking back at the these articles that I wrote shortly after I became the head of PMM at AppDynamics. And then that's when you're really thinking like you're the manager of a sports team. So you're <laughs> kind of filling in the roles, right? It's different from when you're kind of like a, a middle manager where you're kind of owning a product line or persona, in which case I think you're not really hiring across the board. But you know, I look at, for example, the classification system. And uh, when you're at a company that does IT ops, so I think this may not apply necessarily to SaaS, but if you're at an IT ops company like AppDynamics or New Relic or cloud companies as well, you want to have like one of each almost. The unicorn's hard to find. I'm looking at the last one, which is called the unicorn. <laughs> that one's hard, but I look back at it. So the first one I called the quote unquote MBA. And uh, you really do want someone who's just super polished, right? It depends on the company and scale. At that time, AppDynamics was 1,200 employees. Mm -hmm. I, I built it to a team of about 10 or 11 folks. And you do want someone because at that point, you're doing keynotes. You're going to be going to events. You're going to be on stage. And there's something about the quote-unquote MBA, super good at polish. Communication, right? yeah. messaging, positioning. Yes. And so you have these like, you've got four quadrants, right? So you've got communication, messaging and positioning, technical experience. And then the last one is around industry depth. And you're saying MBA, really that communication, messaging, positioning. Would you make that person one of your first PMM hires? Yeah, I feel like the MBA typically is good at cranking out decks, creating yeah. plans, like 
campaign briefs, orchestrating product launches, just super kind of a program and also strategy driven, right? And so I think that's like someone that you'd probably want definitely like early on. Then I have one, then I think I call someone a veteran and this is like very highly indexed on industry depth. And the veteran, especially at a company like AppDynamics or an IT ops company, you kind of want someone who is very close to the field and like their whole career is like staying within that area, right? Like you have those folks, you know, we had someone on my team and he was an ex-analyst and he used to cover the space. So yeah, and this is someone you obviously want them owning or being close to analyst relations, but they're really helpful because they can write the pieces that are super interesting, right? That targets those high level sort of C-level decision makers. Yeah. They like um, really understand the audience and who you're going yeah. after and they know how to write to them because they've been around for 10 years. They've been doing this maybe at different companies, but they'd over-index. Okay. All right. Exactly. So, so you grab one of those and then I obviously, because I started my career as a technical product marketer. I had to put this out there, but a technical marketer, I think someone who is just very good at showing the product in its Mm. best possible light. Often you might meet PMMs throughout your career. And this may shock some folks, but a lot of PMMs may not actually, I mean, the more technical the product, the less likely they know how to use it. But you'd be surprised at how many PMMs you might meet at SaaS companies that don't know how to use the, the product. And this may, I mean, I don't know if I'm this is true for a lot of companies, but I've seen it before in my career, you know, it's not to say that like they don't log in and click around. They can't do like a basic demo. But if you say like, Hey, can you show me how the product is truly differentiated against X, Y, and Z? And you know, they really can't. Right. Oh, yeah, sure. And they don't have to, right. That's not necessarily their job, but I think that a technical marketer who really gets it can go to the detail necessary to prove the differentiation. So that's why I put that one on there. Well, you wrote this. So you got 2018, you're leading, you know, product marketing at app dynamics. You went to WeWork and now you're at Airtable. I just love the product one. I just think it's such a great product, but using this kind of framework, talk to me about going into Airtable. It's one thing to say I'm coming from IT ops, but now you're at this self-serve model, which is definitely transitioning, which we can get into, but almost like a productivity tool. There's a lot more to it. I know you're probably laughing at me, but talk to me about going from switching industries, even going from WeWork, but where would you place yourself on this scale going into Airtable? And then we'll get into, talk, you know, why Airtable? Yeah, I started my... PMM career at Salesforce. So it's pretty heavy SaaS, although arguably they're like a platform now, platform as a service. Yeah, yeah. And so that was like foundational sort of technical marketing experience. And then I went to AppDynamics, which is a hardcore IT ops, application performance, very long sales cycles, large average deal size, super medic driven. And then WeWork was sort of a tangent or like a a detour almost opportunity to get out of tech a little bit, but do product and then back into Airtable, which is SaaS. So yeah, I went back to Airtable because I really enjoyed SaaS. I felt like in terms of like, if you look at the spectrum here, right, I've actually got a couple notches on industry depth. Yeah, definitely. Because what Airtable is doing is Howie, the founder, he was at Salesforce for a little bit. And he came with the idea of Airtable because he saw how hard it was to build SaaS products, like to kind of configure Salesforce. So I've got kind of industry depth. So I feel like I'm trying to go after that unicorn uh, you know, <laughs> strong in almost every area. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I chose Airtable because I just, I enjoy SaaS more than IT ops. It was a good experience for me to go to AppDynamics for a lot of reasons, but my heart is definitely with sort of like the SaaS realm. 
It's just a little bit more fun. Yeah, I'm with you. I love SaaS, but you've been in the Valley. You understand, you've worked for amazing companies. You've led product marketing, dabbled in some PM work. What were you looking for in this next role for you? But even within a startup, you went from public company. Well, we work, we can talk about that one later, but going into a startup, how did you evaluate that risk? What were you looking for with company or team or role? Yeah, when I was post WeWork, I was looking for my next opportunity and I was looking for a couple of things. Number one, I really wanted to find a company that was SaaS and that had a product that I loved. And I've been following Airtable for a long time, right? Number two, I wanted the opportunity to build a program from scratch. That's something that I've not done yet. I've been doing the opposite of a lot of folks. I've, I started at a big company. I've moved, I'm steadily moving to smaller companies. <laughs> Salesforce was 3000 when I joined. And then AppD was like, AppDynamics was like 1100 and Airtable is 185 when I joined. Oh, wow. Um, this is like so, Benjamin Button within <laughs> a career. Exactly. Yeah. And so I wanted an opportunity to build a program from the ground up. And then finally, I think that Airtable has an opportunity to do category creation. I think it's like, has a chance to, to really become something huge. And also the fact that it's a self-serve to enterprise business model. I think that's like the future. And I really wanted to learn how that worked. It's one of the best places to be, to see, to, to figure out that business model, because so many B2B companies are going to be self-serve to enterprise. Oh man, we got to unpack all those. Those are all fantastic. Okay. So first off, Let's talk about this idea of building your own team. How did you know that you were ready for that? I've had people ask me as they're trying to think about this, maybe it's imposter syndrome that's telling them I'm not ready, but how did you know that you were ready to build a team? I think that the first time you take over product marketing is like terrifying. <laughs> yeah. It's really scary because it's a first time experience and you become the head of like it, the stress level is like much higher when you're the head of product marketing. So I think that my time at AppDynamics, I think helped me build that confidence to feel like, yeah, you know what? I've held the reins now and I've seen it and I've struggled with hiring. It's already hard as a middle manager. It becomes really yes. hard as the head, right? Because you're essentially trying to hire people like yourself. Mm. And, and then you ask yourself, would I work for myself? And you ask that question and and so all of a sudden you're like, well, then I need to become that person that I work for. And it's tough. So I think I grew a lot during that phase. It was a huge amount of learning for me. And then at some point in your career, I think you just feel like I have a lot of ideas for what I believe is the right way, quote unquote, yeah. to do product yeah. marketing. And again, everyone, every PMM is different. In fact, PMM in general, I don't think there's a clear definition changes every company. Oh man. But yeah. yeah, I just felt internally like this is something that I needed to just experience it, whether I succeed or fail. I've done three startups in my career too. That was even yeah. before I became a PMM and even during. And so, yeah, I like to take chances. Yeah. And I think this is what we're finding with a, a lot of these interviews that we've done is there are people that love to build. They love to fix. They love to put in process and they're not risk averse. They're willing to take that chance because I think a lot of times they recognize it's still a learning opportunity to stretch themselves, but it's also a way to see, can I do it? And so- when you think about this next part, which I haven't heard yet, which is great, is category creation. For those out there listening that may be new to PMM, what does that mean to you? And what does that look like for Airtable? I think that the way I'll define it is maybe by the end state, right? Category creation, if you heard the term like no one ever got fired for buying Microsoft or <laughs> yeah. no one ever got fired for buying SAP. Well, no one ever got fired for buying Salesforce for CRM. I mean, it's, sure. it's obvious now if you want to be a serious software company or a sales driven company, you're going to buy Salesforce. I mean, they've built this massive moat, right? And so I think category creation is when you go to a company and you boot up Okta 
and you see the tile, it's already there. It's like, yeah. you don't have to request it or, or if you have to request it via IT ticketing, they, they don't even ask you for a justification. It just gets lit up immediately for you, right? Or it's by default, it's on, right? So the way I describe it is like, at least in, the, in Airtable's case, is there a time when every knowledge worker, they show up to work on their first day, first week, and they're like, where's Airtable? I need to go, I need to see how this team operates. I need to look at what apps have been built. I already know in my mind what kind of program I want to build. I'm going to build on an Airtable because it's the standard. It's yeah. like everyone needs access to a low code platform, period. And so that to me is like the end state. So then how far are we from that? And what do we need to do to get to that endpoint? right? So to me, that's how I define it. Some folks might say when you get your first three-letter acronym, like you've made it, pick your acronym HRIS, CRM, ERP, like when you become acronymized and, and you have an MQ from Gartner, like, you know, you've made it right. <laughs> but um, yeah, but, but we're not there yet. But that, that to me is what category creation. I like that. That's such a good definition. And I think it also just keeps you focused too. And as such a big goal. It, it's hard not to be driven by that, to wake up every morning and realize, okay, I've got a ways to go, but we're slowly getting there. When you get into these highs and lows of the week, if you will, I think having that kind of North Star is really cool, which I'm going to dive into this last one because I love this idea of self-serve going into the enterprise. I've seen almost, it's not quite HubSpot, right? But HubSpot's kind of this SMB CRM like Salesforce, but they're moving upstream and they're doing so with this ease of of a platform, right? It's an easy way to do this. It shouldn't be hard. You shouldn't have to have someone or several people that just manage your CRM like Salesforce does. But talk to me about how what self-serve to enterprise looks like for you and what this unlock is. Yeah. When I first was interviewing at Airtable, I did the standard deep dive into the website, poking around, catching up because I'd been following the company for a couple of years. And Airtable is like, when I say self-serve, it's truly self-serve. I mean, you've got people on there managing their, their kids' little league um, <laughs> wow. um, sports teams on Airtable. Wow. You've got Girl Scouts using it to manage their sales. You have people using it to capture recipes or like favorite spots to go in Taipei to eat. Like I still remember there's like an Airtable base in, in our universe where people were just sharing those kinds of things, right? Hmm. And that is really self-serve. I'm talking like yeah, consumer. Yeah, that's self-serve. Yeah. You know, that's B2C consumer. And then you have companies that use Airtable for thousand person like departments and they're all in a single base with tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands of records. And they're doing like mission critical work, right? We have some companies with literally thousands of folks and they depend on it. It's mission critical. So for Airtable, it's really trying to figure out how do we capture the super healthy viral B2C element of Airtable? Because a lot of folks will use Airtable for personal stuff and then they'll bring it into their office, right? Yeah. How do you yeah. figure out how to turn that into a system and scale it, right? Like what are the levers you have and what are the connection points? And I can't say that I don't think we've solved it yet because if we had solved it, there would already be an Airtable that was like 10 times bigger than us, right? We're trying to figure out how to do this for a platform, a horizontal platform that's B2C to B2B. And I think we haven't figured it all out, but we're learning really quickly. And so it's a challenge for sure. Which is what I want to dive into. So you've been at Airtable now, like almost a year now. So what was some of those challenges early on you're coming in? How many other product marketers were there? And, you know, kind of talk to me about this last year. Yeah. When I joined Airtable, I was one of the earliest folks on the marketing team with our new CMO, Archana. And at that time, there was one PMM. I think he was the first. And so he had been there for probably about a year and a half when I joined, you know, and sales and element also was like one person. Yeah. And at that time, I think they'd had at least close to 20 reps and um, about the same number of CSMs, success managers. Yeah. As I did my onboarding, I, I met with everybody and I said, tell me where it hurts. Where's it hurt? And the consistent thing that I heard was, 
from, from most folks was everyone's got a different way of explaining Airtable. We don't actually know how to explain it in a really crisp way. And I think this is actually unique to Airtable as well, but it's probably common for a lot of first time PMMs coming in. Yes. It's like every person is just <laughs> describing it however, which way the slides from reps are all different. It's oh, crazy. Salespeople creating decks. Some, yeah. It shouldn't be doing that. <laughs> I mean, that. That happens at massive software yes. companies too, to oh, be it sure. Does. But hundred percent. But there was no foundation. They had onboarding. There was a deck that existed, but looking through it, right? There's definitely looking at it. I could tell that you no, know, there was areas where we could definitely bring in elements of a narrative, perhaps stronger differentiation points. It's just like there's a lot, right? The web, the website had a lot of debt too. Mm-hmm. We're, and we're still working through that. But it's the core. I think the core thing is positioning. Like where does Airtable sit on the ladder? There's a ladder in everyone's mind around these similar type of competing software products. And where's Airtable on that ladder? Where can we make it number one on the ladder? Which elements can we position it so that we're number one? I think that was the big thing that I was trying to focus on when I joined. Just think like in which space do we win and why? So there's a lot of- That one's tough too. I mean, it's really tough if you, and what I found with that one, having like executive buy-in. Did you find that difficult or was it, did you have executive buy-in whenever you kind of went through that exercise and even kind of presented that output? Was there any pushback to what you ultimately came up with? I built this 2D quadrant. It's not an MQ. (laughs) It's not an MQ. But I basically chose like two axes. One axis, you have to pick two. And so the first axis I chose was was what I called power or like the ability to essentially have a platform where you could solve a breadth of problems and the depth of problems, right? So it's like power is one axis. And then the other one I chose was kind of like, I called it like ease of use slash, you know, adoptability or flexibility. Basically it was like, how easy was it to use? And so on this chart, and I'm getting kind of like in the weeds, but I had like Microsoft Power Platform, Salesforce, ServiceNow, these like the big boys sitting in the powerful, but very difficult to use because you have to hire a consultant and pay a million yeah. bucks. Yeah. And then in the very far bottom right, like lower power, but super easy is like Trello. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like you get in there, you can do a project. So like, where's Airtable? And I placed Airtable and I really do think like it's kind of in its own spot it's weird. It's a hard one. And I use that. And I had that in a doc somewhere and I pitched it out. I pitched it to our leadership. Right. And it's like, it's hard because when you're kind of that first PMM in positioning, really thinking about how to make it into a a process or a framework, it's just not there. What's interesting is that this view that I created with all these competitors on this chart, it made its way into board materials. It like, oh. it like found its way across a bunch of different slides. And, and I don't take full credit because honestly, it was already there, but it was just hard to visualize. I just threw it onto something that you could look at. That's really what I did. Maybe that's all I did, but I don't take any credit for that. But I see it in pockets now and it's becoming much more common in the company, which I think I've been somewhat successful there, but I, but I don't take any credit. <laughs> now we'll pause for a quick word from our sponsors at Clue. Not a day goes by in sales that someone doesn't ask how your product compares. Earlier, a friend Jen dug herself out of a tight spot with Clue, the product marketer's platform for handling all things competitive. Clue helps product marketing teams collect intel from coworkers, Slack, emails, and the web, putting it all into one place that's always up to date and giving Jen the superpowers she needs when she needs them. Listen in at the end of this episode to hear how Clue empowers every team across the org with insights, something we call competitive enablement. Learn more at clue.com slash thrills. That's K-L-U-E dot com slash thrills. 
Well, I've definitely have been in those shoes before and I've presented something. And again, this is like based off research, it's consumer interviews, right? And you're like employee interviews and you're going out and then I present. And then at times leadership's like, that's not true because that's not where they thought it was. And it's like, no, this is where you are in the heads of your potential customers and your customers. And so that was a fun meeting, defending your work, which is important. I can't say my work ever made it into a board meeting, but so congrats, (laughs) but (laughs) I like that. One thing I wanted to kind of, hone in on and really think through is you talked about this self-serve to enterprise. And a lot of times in self-serve, it's really product-led. And then you get into enterprise and it's really like this more sales-led type of org. And again, when you're thinking about your PMM career, and even for those out there listening, you're thinking about what kind of org do I want to join, right? Do you want to be a sales-led org? Do you want to join that type of PMM team? Or is it like more of a product-led type of org? And so talk to me about this kind of balance. I know app dynamics, probably more sales led, right? When you think enterprise and now this, this air table, air, air table is moving upstream now. So what does that look like to you? Yeah. I think if I characterize the push and pull between product and sales right now at, at Airtable, I'd say it's pretty balanced. It's the even keel, which is really nice. It's refreshing. Salesforce is marketing driven. Yeah. Super marketing driven company for sure. App Dynamics, hardcore sales driven, well, at least when I joined, right? And Airtable, very product, actually engineering and product led for yeah. years and years. And so now we're really scaling up the go to market motions. And so it's somewhere in the middle right now. But I think about B2B software, right? And the trend that I've seen, at least in every company that I've, I've ever interviewed at or like double clicked into, is that at some point they all want to go after enterprise. Like it's guaranteed. It's like you've built this. I think like the founders, they have this dream, they go to YC, they go and they build this awesome self serve thing. They close their first few rounds of funding. And then all of a sudden the pressure is on. And what you realize is like the ceiling in your early adopter or like innovator customer base, not even early adopter, like let's just go innovator customer base is like short. It's like, yes, it's not very high. The ceiling, like you ram into that pretty quickly. And then what happens is like you, by pure luck, you end up closing a couple teams within these large enterprises. And then they just scale to like massive sizes on their own. And then all of a sudden the pressure is on to go find more of those, right? And to find that growth. So my view is every single new era B2C, B2B software companies, I think they all want to become enterprise companies. But like that transition point is really hard. So that's why I'm here to like to figure that out and learn it. So I think like Mark Andreessen had a post once, which was like every software company is a channel. Hmm. It ends up being a channel. Like the most successful large enterprises, like they just become a channel where you can push stuff down the channel, right? And so I think about that a lot. And I had a mentor who once asked me, would you rather be at a a company, a B2B company with an A product and a B B sales team or an A sales team and a B product? Ooh, that's a great question. What'd you answer? <laughs> well, if you look at history, right? <laughs> big software companies, right? They're basically like really, really efficient sales engines. I, in my heart, I'm always going to want that awesome product because it just makes your life way easier for sure. Yeah. But I'll say I want an A product and an A sales team. <laughs> like, like I want both. <laughs> I want to be that. I want that unicorn um, for sure. No, I mean, that's a tough one. It's such a great answer. And also why we have mentors. I'm with you too. They they get to ask you the tough questions and don't let you 
find ways out. They make you answer. And I think that, man, I'm going to have to really think through that one because that one's really good because you see this all the time. People are like, I've also heard product, you know, a lot of times with these product-led companies, they just kind of push marketing to the side, right? And you're like, no, you're going to need marketing. You can be as product focused as you want. You can have the best product, but if like no one knows about it, no one's selling it. It's only, you're kind of capping it, right? In, in my opinion. I mean, unless you just get this super viral flywheel, which, hey, I'm happy to see it happen, but it's not going to just happen on its own. There has to be some mechanisms in place to really get it going. So, all right, that one's sticking with me. So for those listening out there, you can also tell like there, there's no prep work. This is literally a conversation and we are literally at the coffee shop hanging out. So I like it. But I want to kind of transition to our last question that we're asking all of our guests. It's really around the thrills and the chills of your product marketing career. So when you think back, you've had a really impressive career, growing teams, leading teams, public companies, startups. What are some of those thrills and chills? I look back and for me, like the thrills, I always go back to sort of like my time at Salesforce doing the keynotes. This was a special experience because the events were so massive. When I left at that point, the Dream, Dreamforce main stage keynote was like 100,000 people. I think it was like at least 80,000 or more or around that, like live in Moscone, which is this giant convention center in, in San Francisco. And then an equal amount online watching live or, or recorded. That stage, it's like a Broadway stage, but 10 times bigger. I mean, the production that goes into that keynote, if you know, it's just massive. And so it's hard to, I mean, that's definitely a thrill to be able to get on that stage and you're just seeing that auditorium fill up and it's just so many people, you know, and even before that, you get to watch Mark Benioff rehearse. He is the pioneer of cloud computing, you know? And so you see that company operating at its like peak and that's definitely a thrill, right? Traveling the world, getting to do these events, I think very, very fun. The chill for me was definitely when I joined AppDynamics and it was like a reality, like a dose of reality for me. And I desperately needed it, honestly. It was getting super close to sales, getting right back into the trenches and figuring out what it is that they really need to, I call it crowbar their way into deals. You know, (laughs) it's hard because, you know, when you transition to, from like to enterprise, right? You have so many personas, new buyer personas you have to, and oftentimes the power isn't even in the practitioner. And the self-serve side, you only have to, you got to, like the person using your product is the person who's going to whip out their credit card and buy it. It's just the same person. In the enterprise side, you have to reach these directors, these VPs, these CIOs. And so you need to give, you need to arm these salespeople with things that they need to get in there. It's really hard. And so that for me was like, I mean, it was definitely a chill kind of sensing the power shift at Salesforce, super marketing led, and then AppDynamics is super sales led. And so So that was a a chill, but also a very needed chill. It's kind of like, you know, if you're jumping into an ice bath, like if you're in Iceland or something like that, you know, they kind of go back and forth between the hot and the cold. But yeah, that for me was a chill, but it was desperately needed. Oh man, that's really good. Well, thanks again for for coming on and talking through such a great career. I mean, I I absolutely love a lot of the tidbits that you you left us with. I know I'm going to be thinking about this question that you posed around product or sales and then sharing your thrills and your chills. Kevin, I really appreciate it and wish you the best of luck in 2021 at Airtable and creating that category. Salespeople want short, digestible insights. They don't want 17-page decks that are scattered across the web and who knows where. Clue makes it easy to create and deliver battle cards. In a pinch, sales teams can find them easily with all the insights they need on how to handle their competitors while working a deal. And with Clue, it's not just sales teams who want battle cards. The product team, customer success, and marketing, they all compete too. Now, everyone can compete to win. Thank you.
for any of you wondering how to put together a competitive enablement program or build battle cards that your sales team will love, head over to clue.com slash thrills. That's K-L-U-E dot com slash thrills. Tell them that I sent you and they'll set you up with a bunch of free resources that you can use to get started. Don't forget to subscribe as we'll be back next Thursday. And if you have any feedback on our episodes, things you liked, things you want to hear, anything else, please email podcast at sharebird.com. That's podcast plural at sharebird.com. This podcast is produced by Sharebird, the peer mentoring platform for product marketers. It's a place to discover on-demand resources to help you with product marketing. A special thanks to Alex for helping bring this show to life. Dolisha is our senior editor. Serbi is our master scheduler. Our podcast art was designed by Vika Karpitsky. Our music is by Joaquin Karud. And of course, Jason and Katie over at Clue. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>